This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, welcome to Health Check. I'm Joyce Teo, a senior health correspondent with The Straits Times. Today, medicine is mostly practiced with a one-size-fits-all approach. Everyone is given the same treatment, even though they may not all benefit from it, and some may actually be badly affected by it. But what if doctors have a more detailed understanding of each patient so that they can better help the patients? So this is where precision medicine comes in. It's an approach that takes into account the differences in people's genes, environments and lifestyles. Singapore has already started to map the complete set of genes of 100,000 Singaporeans in the SG100K genetic study. So to learn more about precision medicine and how it will benefit us, we have invited Professor Patrick Tan the Executive Director of Precision Health Research Singapore, or PRECISE. It is an entity set up in 2021 to oversee the implementation of Phase 2 of Singapore's Precision Medicine Program. Prof Tan is also the Senior Vice Dean for Research at the Duke NUS Medical School, as well as the Chief Scientific Officer at the Genome Institute of Singapore at ASTAR. Hi Prof Tan, welcome to Health Check. Thank you very much, I'm very happy to be here. Precision medicine, right? It's a term that we've been hearing a lot of lately, but it can get confusing. Can you tell us what exactly is precision medicine? No, I'm very happy to. We're all individuals. Each of us is at risk for different diseases. And what we want to do in precision medicine is to try to understand the different components or the different factors that make us all unique. There's your genes or your genetics. That's the environment, you know, the place that you live in, the food you eat. There's also lifestyle. Do you exercise? And I think all of these factors combine together, manifest in the way that we develop disease and how we respond to different therapies. And that's really what precision medicine is. It's, a, it's a, the discipline where we're trying to combine all of these different factors, integrate that sort of information and ultimately to develop the types of tools in our brochure so that we can treat you as an individual according to your individual makeup and also to populations and groups that are similar to you. In order to do that, we need information about individuals and groups. We need to study genetics. It's estimated that that will represent about 30% of what contributes to your healthcare outcomes and the environment and lifestyle will be about another 70%. So I would say, Joyce, that actually that there's a continuum on what precision medicine is, ranging from the individual to groups to whole populations. It's just the way that the tools that we use to uh, harness that data are a bit different. So Prof, Singapore has a 10-year national precision medicine strategy here, and that's being implemented in three phases. The first phase was when Singapore started on the study in 2017, right? to map the complete set of genes of 10,000 Singaporeans, and that's the SG10K study. So can you tell us briefly what we've learned from that study? Definitely. So if I go back and talk about the different components that contribute to individual and group health, it will be your genetics, it will be your lifestyle, it will be your environment. In the first phase of the program, we tackled genetics. We realized that what was lacking in the world was a good representation of the Asian genome. Much of the research in genetics has largely been dominated by studies from the West, Eurocentric populations. And so there was a crying uh, lack of Asian genetic data. So we 
assembled a database called SG10K Health that currently still represents the largest genetic database of multi-ethnic Asian populations. One of the things we found is that there are millions of variants or mutations of differences in the genes that are found in Asian populations that are not in Western populations. We found that in many cases, some of these genes are medically relevant, meaning that they will cause disease. And we were able to identify these individuals and return the results to them so that they could improve their health. Some of the data has actually led in as a reference database in helping clinicians in Singapore to be able to increase the efficiency of their healthcare when they're treating patients with genetic disease. So Singapore is now in the second phase of the National Physician Medicine Program and you'll be studying a total of 100,000 individuals, right? Can you give us an update of that study? Yes. So in this study, we're tackling not just the genetics, the other components as well, their lifestyle and their environment. This is a project called Precise SG100K, and we are currently on the cusp of reaching 80,000 individuals. Mm. And we finished a sequencing about, about 40,000 of those individuals already. So uh, if you think about it, it took us um, three or four years to do SG10K Health, the first 10,000. It's taken us a year and a half to, to almost reach five times that size. So I think that if you think about this, this actually sets the stage for scaling up even more in, in phase three. Mm-hmm. Are we looking um, at one million in phase three? Well, we, I think that we need to ask the question, what makes sense for a Singapore? At the end of the day, the program is a research program. It's less about trying to hit some magical number, but it's really about trying to assemble the right size that we can really make statistically reliable and robust conclusions. One of the important things about Precise SG100K is that it is a healthy population cohort. In working with the Ministry of Health is that we are monitoring these individuals as they become older and as they receive disease, when we see who gets cancer and who gets cardiovascular disease, we'll be able to look back on those pre-disease data sets to see what predicted disease in the first place. So this is the power of a longitudinal population cohort. Uh, This is not something new, although it is perhaps more new in Asia. There is a very, very famous cohort in the West called the Framingham Cohort. That was set up in a small group in Framingham, Massachusetts, where they monitored individuals. Essentially, all of our guidelines on the prevention of cardiovascular disease have all come from that cohort. So these longitudinal population cohorts are incredibly important in an era when we want to look at prevention of disease. Right, so that was a study that was launched back in 1948. And thanks to it, we now know that the risk factors for cardiovascular disease include smoking, high blood pressure, high cholesterol levels, obesity, and so on, right? So, um, Prof, earlier we talked a little about the learnings from the SG10K genetic study. And then there's now the SG100K study, right? So how are the discoveries going to be used to improve the lives of Singaporeans? We're going to have a lot of discoveries coming out from SG10K, from SG100K. So these are discoveries that we know are medically relevant, but the challenge of how you bring them and how you engage patients to be able to act on on these findings to improve their health, that hasn't fully been worked out yet. And we we have five of those clinical implementation pilots ranging from conditions associated with high cholesterol, 
all the way towards identifying individuals at risk for side effects from particular drugs. And we are hoping that by doing that, we'll be able to iron out clinical pathways that then uh, set the stage for future discoveries when they come up, we can actually run them through and uh, uh, push them through our clinical healthcare system, ultimately to show that these actually improves the outcomes of Singapore patients. Right. You mentioned there are five. These are ongoing pilots? Yes, they're ongoing as part of phase two. Right. Can you briefly share the, the focus of the five pilots? The yeah. first one is on a condition called familial hypercholesterolemia. It's essentially an inherited condition where individuals with this mutation have very high cholesterol, putting them at risk for very early heart attacks. We know we can identify before it happens, we can improve their health through an inexpensive lipid-lowering therapy. That's the first clinical implementation pilot. The second one is on in inherited cancer syndrome. So you may have known about Angelina Jolie and the BRCA1 gene. So these are individuals that if you have that mutation, you are at high risk for developing cancer. In this situation, we're looking at approaches where if we see an individual with that uh, gene, can we also uh, work to contact their first degree relatives because they will also have inherited that gene to offer them testing and intervention before the cancer develops. The third one is about breast cancer screening. We know that in Singapore, our rates of breast cancer screening compared to the West are actually relatively low. And so we're asking the question, if we can determine your genetic risk of breast cancer, will that enhance the likelihood that you will go for breast cancer screening? And, and we hope by, by doing that, we will increase the rate of detection of early breast cancer so that these individuals that get, can be managed proactively. The fourth one is in a niche area called kidney disease where there is a particular drug that if you have the mutation, uh, you are, your kidney disease will actually respond much better. And it's a technical term that's a, it's primarily glomerular disease. And in that situation, what is gratifying is that the kidney doctors that are working on this have now begun to learn about genetics, about genetic counseling, and are now offering that as a test. The fifth one is pharmacogenomics, where then we, we hope that this will actually be an important application of genetics that will actually benefit 90% of the Singapore population. When we looked at the first 10,000 of Ashley Health, is that one or 2% of Singaporeans is now walking around with a mutation in their genes that we think if we find them early, we will be able to improve their health. About 25% of individuals in, in Singapore carries a gene that is at risk that if they marry another individual with a defect in that same gene, the child is potentially at risk. About over 90% of us carries a mutation in a gene that is known to influence our response to drugs. If we can actually prevent these adverse drug reactions from happening, we can actually save the healthcare system costs and we can also improve the outcomes of the individuals because we will be treating you with the right drug and not with the wrong drug. So in this particular program, and this is led by my colleague, uh, Professor Tai Yixiong, we've been 
working with laboratories in our healthcare system where samples from patients participating in this pharmacogenomics pilot will be able to be tested up front such that the next time you come into a clinic, if you are a candidate for an inappropriate drug, your electronic health system, your doctor will be able to see that readout and therefore treat you with the new drug. This is still ongoing, but hopefully over the course of the, the remainder of phase two, which will be about 2024 and 2025, we'll be able to see more traction in this, such that by phase three, we will be scaling this up as part of our larger rollout. I see. Okay, so the idea is there, but when we talk about the research, these are healthy people, right? The 10K and the 100K study. So these are not people with disease, but the pilots will include people with disease. Definitely, yes. It's important to recognise that, particularly for Asian conditions, there's a lot that we still need to figure out about how we can manage patients with disease. Right. How interesting. I mean, I suppose if you're part of the study, you're also learning about yourself, right? Yes. I'm kind of interested, like, so for these people who actually join, you know, how much do they actually want to know about themselves? Yes, so that, that's an important part. And I think that this also relates to another component of the program, which is about the ethics of the whole program and, you know, respecting rights for individuals, how much do they want to know about themselves? Uh, and this is where the consent process becomes very, very important. Uh, so when the patient signs up for the study, we do ask them if, for instance, if we see something, do you want to know? So that's the first step. And what we do is that we only inform them on findings where there is a medical option available. And what we find is that actually many people want to know. There's a fascination about what my genes will tell me about myself, what my lifestyle will tell me. I will highlight that actually we have had a tremendous response from the Singapore public in participating in SG100K. Mm. There's actually a very long waiting list. And so I would say that for individuals that do want to participate in this, please sign up soon because we'll be reaching the 100,000 mark quite soon. I see, because you said you've recruited 80,000, yes, right? So yeah. there's already a list of people. So what's the criteria besides the age, being healthy? I think that's one. I mean, you need to consent for participation in a research study. And there is also another component. Will you allow your data, after we de-identify it, to be shared with third parties? Because what we feel is that Singapore is a small place and to really reap the benefits of this information, we do need to involve part parties either from other research institutes across the world or perhaps even from other companies. And in that situation, we do want to make sure that we can collaborate with these to be able to make full use of this information that will ultimately return back in benefits to the Singapore population. Right, but what are the chances of it being re-identified? Yeah, we're putting certain safeguards in to make it a very, very challenging for individuals with ill intent to re-identify individuals. So for instance, we've put into place policies that the data cannot leave Singapore. So if, if people want to analyze it, they have to come into our own environment, which allows us to audit who has access to the information. There are legal safeguards because it's done in Singapore. Individuals that do access information need to sign on an agreement and therefore if they breach those agreements, they are actually liable by Singapore law for those purposes. 
we've also tried to ensure that some of the concerns about re-identification are mitigated. So one concern that we heard in phase one was that people were afraid that insurance companies would have access to this information and therefore, if I have a deleterious gene, I would be denied insurance. Right. So the Ministry of Health and the Life Insurance Association put up a moratorium that insurance companies in Singapore could not use this information for insurance underwriting. I think that's just a start. Whether or not we need to protect it further through legislation is an ongoing dialogue that we have with the Ministry of Health. One thing in phase three that we're probably going to try to improve on and build up more is this idea of patient and participant involvement in our programs. Can you elaborate a little bit? Yeah, so this is something that's quite well accepted in the Western countries. If you think about the patient as your customer, it makes sense to involve them in the decision-making process of what sort of research should be emphasized and what may make sense on paper, but maybe actually maybe more academic in nature. One of the challenges that, that came out from the clinical implementation pilots was that in the case of the clinical implementation pilot related to the inherited cancer syndromes, one important aspect in order to achieve more early detection was to contact the first degree relatives of the patient where we found the like a BRCA1 breast cancer mutation. Initially, we were relying on the patient with the mutation to contact the first degree relatives. What we found out was that actually there was a certain reluctance to inform the first degree relatives or if they wanted to, they didn't have the right communication skills to encourage uh, their first degree relatives to come forward to be tested also. If we had a patient participant embedded in the program up front, we would have been able to spot that early and design perhaps training curricula for how to communicate better. In some cases, we sequence an individual with a rare genetic condition, a child, and we know the cause because it's a particular gene that's been mutated. But at the present moment, there is no therapy available. I think there's a certain cadre of individuals that would say that, you know, that actually is been wasted effort. You you have the diagnosis, but you can't do anything about it. On the other hand, when we talk to the parents of that child, they actually feel that that's very, very meaningful because it gives them closure on why that child has a condition and it provides emotional and psychological value that the child has a diagnosis as opposed to no diagnosis. Now, is that of value? I think it is. So I would say that having that experience of, of a parent of a, of a child with a writing gene is going to be very, very important in informing what we do. Mm-hmm. So I think as precision medicine becomes closer and closer to influencing healthcare, we, we will need to hear these voices of the patients as part of our decision-making process. In phase three, yeah. earlier I was just saying that not everybody will want to know everything about their health on what is to come, right? Especially when some diseases have no cure yet. What you mentioned now with the child is that the child already has the disease, so that provides closure. But if something is going to come later on in your life, would you want to know about it? Yeah, so I think this is why we are very clear that we should not report everything. And I think that this is also an evolving field. Sometimes when a new therapy comes online, that's when then there's an option available for those individuals to report. And to be a certain extent, I think that we're erring on the side of caution. 
Of course, we think that is the right thing to do rather than over-promising. So we talk about the, the research. Can you summarize the key points about the research? So SG10K, we talked about it, right? So for SG100K, what is the focus and the yeah. targets? So what we hope is that as precise SG100K, which is the combination of the 100K genetics, lifestyle, environment linked to clinical records, will power many, many different questions. Think of it as a very large public resource that will power the next generation and decades of Singaporean researchers to come. We hope that every medical student will be able to have this data at their fingertips. Right. such that they will be able to, when a new patient walks in, they'll be able to compare it to precise SG100K to ask the question, what are the risks that this individual will have? And that will hopefully help them to manage uh, their patients better. Right. Sounds very interesting. So maybe we can go back to the study, right, that you mentioned, because you're saying that recruitment is still ongoing. For people who actually joined the study, right, I mean, do they get a report? A couple of weeks later, you will actually get a research report it shouldn't be taken as on the same level as a medical report. But if you have a concern, you can go back to your doctor and you can follow up. And that's been proven to be very popular. We're starting to return genetic results to these individuals. This was one of the things we had to build up in, in phase one that's scaling up in phase two, where we can return genetic results back to this individual, which will not only have an impact on these individuals, but also on their families as well. That's based on their consent. And yes, then with yes. the report, they will decide what they want to do with it. Yes, everything is cardinal on the consent process. So I guess in the future, Prof, I mean, do you see genetic testing becoming the norm one day? Um, I feel that at the end of phase three of the program, we will have the data to be able to clearly say, should this be part of mainstream Singapore healthcare or not? I, I think as a research program, we need to be open to answer A or answer B. But I think what the program does is to be able to provide the right data and the right conclusions such that decision becomes clear. We're not the only country in the world that's exploring this, right? So there are precision medicine efforts like this happening across Asia, Japan, Malaysia, the Middle East. US, Europe, the UK, there is 5 million individual efforts going on. At the end of the day, it's, it's a question of should medicine be one size fits all or should it be tailored based upon who you are? I believe that that's where medicine is going. Should medicine be focused on treating patients with late stage disease or should medicine move towards keeping people healthy? Right. Okay. I guess people are interested because a lot of people are actually going for the private kids, right? DNA testing. Yeah, so that's what we call the direct-to-consumer testing. I would caution against overly interpreting the results of those testing. One simple reason is that many of the databases that they have don't have Asian genetics in them. They don't have the right Asian references in their databases. So meaning that you're saying that your results might show that you're at a high risk of certain disease when it's actually not true. It might be lower than uh, that well, or vice versa. We know that has happened in the US already. Just to give an example, there is a very famous paper which showed that African-Americans were genetically tested. And because they had a mutation that was very prevalent in African-Americans, but not in Caucasian populations, they were misdiagnosed as having heart disease. And some of these individuals actually received fairly 
invasive medical treatments. Mm -hmm. So that's one example where if you don't have the right reference, you can actually perhaps misdiagnose and even result in inappropriate treatment. So we're des so we are very cognizant of that, which is why in the phase one, we started with the reference database. So that's the bedrock of how we then layer on the disease cases in the CIPs in phase two, and also subsequently when we, when we roll up to the regional health systems in phase three. You're saying that, you know, the scientists will be able to use the data for the SG100K study and including private companies as well in the future? Well, we hope that this will actually catalyze a new a set of Singapore homegrown companies that will be able to leverage off this and ultimately will begin to develop uh, products and services based upon this and um, employ more Singaporeans and be able to then uh, go out and export made in Singapore products to the rest of Asia and the rest of the world. And we hope that this actually will allow a new sector of economic growth for Singapore. We're already beginning to see some signs of that happening. I hope that this shows that the very multifaceted nature of precision medicine that covers you know, uh, academic research, clinical delivery, economic development also. I see. So precision medicine is often called personalized medicine, right? Where therapies are tailored to like just one person. But from what you've described, I mean, it sounds like precision medicine goes beyond that and has the potential to impact health at the population level. Like it would be used more for preventive care. Overall, precision medicine is an approach to healthcare where we are trying to embrace the idea that all of us are different people, they're different groups. The Technologies that we are trying to provide a clear readout of those differences that we can harness ultimately to best inform your health and your treatment de de decisions. And by applying that as an individual, we hope that we'll be able to improve your healthcare as an individual, but by applying it to populations, we'll be able to improve early detection of disease to improve population health. It's a journey. There are many things to figure out, which is why National Precision Medicine Program is still a research program, but we hope to set the stage that ultimately we'll be able to see how this can be brought at scale to the Singapore public. So that's something I'll end there. Great. Thanks for your time, Prof, today. Thank you, much. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Joyce Teo. Don't forget to share this podcast episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to read my articles, we have links in the podcast text description below. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.